Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. It's the big match preview. We are back and we are looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to the city ground. Finally, the Gunners are back in Premier League action. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while since... Um, we've got into a routine of watching Arsenal regularly. I, I look at the fixtures and we've only played a handful of games uh, this month. It's going to be pretty hectic between now and the end of the season, assuming things go the way we want them to go. Um, but I'm I'm here for it. I'm down for it because January's been tough. January really, really has been tough. If I think about January, we played our first game on the 7th of January. So we had to wait seven days into the new year. For our first game, we ended up losing 2-0 to Liverpool in the FA Cup. And the only other game we played 13 days later against Crystal Palace at home, we won it comfortably. But that was on the 20th. And it'll be 10 days again by the time we take to the field to face Nottingham Forest. So the last two weights we've had in between games have been 13 days and 10 days. And my word, it has dragged. The transfer window has been open and I think a lot of people hoped that the transfer window would bring some activity that would give us something to talk about, something to discuss, something to keep us interested. But even that has been a drag, hasn't it? And of course, over the last 24 hours, we've heard uh, nonsense stories really coming out of Spain with regards to Mikel Arteta. He did a really great job today, I think, of shutting down that talk of him joining Barcelona in the summer. But we're going to get into all of that on this episode. We're going to talk Arteta's press conference. We're going to discuss the fixture with Nottingham Forest. We'll do our statistical Premier League preview, as we always do. We'll talk a little bit about the lineup that we'd like to see. We'll bring you the latest on some of uh, the fitness issues that a number of our key players uh, may or may not still be experiencing. We'll get into all of that. I'm really, really looking forward uh, to this episode. But if I could quickly ask you before we dive into the content, if you're watching us on YouTube, leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Turn on the notification bell if you haven't already, because that means you'll never miss an episode. You'll get a notification each and every time we go live, post a video, etc., etc. If you're listening to this on audio, please do leave us a review on whichever platform it is that you consume the content via. It really, really does help. It's the big match preview. We're talking Nottingham Forest versus Arsenal. A trip to the city ground. Bit of a banana skin. We'll discuss that right after this. Is it a banana skin? A trip to the city ground can be quite daunting because I think what you always know is that you're going to face an atmosphere. It's one of the better atmospheres, I would say, in the Premier League. And it's an evening game. It's under the lights. It's a, a club that obviously beat us there last season. I know at that time we kind of already lost the league and it was really kind of, it was like us being on a final tour without really giving it too much thought and too much care. And the, the dejection and the deflation that we all felt at that time, I think, contributed to the result. And Nottingham Forest were also looking for points desperately at that point. We've also had a couple of miserable trips there in the Cups. So it is a place that we've got a history of not winning at, of struggling at, of suffering at. But then you look at it and you think, well, 
if Nottingham Forest are currently sitting 16th in the Premier League table, they're just four points clear of Luton Town in 18th. And Luton Town have a game in hand, by the way, which means that Luton could move to within just one point of Nottingham Forest. You start to think to yourself, yeah, tricky place to go, difficult away game, all the rest of it. But if you've got hopes and aspirations of winning the Premier League title, this is exactly the type of game that you need to go out there and win. This is exactly the type of game that you can have no excuses around. You have to go and you have to get all three points. And I said it when we um, went through that awful period, really, sort of around Christmas and stuff. And we came out the other side and then we got knocked out of the FA Cup. I said, if we beat Crystal Palace, we beat Nottingham Forest, we tee ourselves up really, really nicely for that game that's to come on Sunday against Liverpool at the Emirates. Because I'll tell you something, if we can beat Liverpool at the Emirates, having picked up maximum points at the city ground tomorrow, we will be just two points behind the league leaders and right back in the mix for the Premier League title. This is a really key period for me, really crucial period. And I don't really know how to read how these games are going to go because I look at it and I think, well, number one, we've had big gaps between games. And when you're on a bad run, sometimes you kind of need that break and that pause, right? We lost um, some games in the league and then we ended up losing in the FA Cup. And then we had that break in between the Liverpool and Nottingham, uh, Liverpool and Crystal Palace games, I beg your pardon. That obviously allowed us to go to Dubai, reset, et cetera, et cetera. We came back, we absolutely thumped Crystal Palace and you're thinking, great, we're back. But then you want to build on that momentum, don't you? You want to carry it on. You don't want to pause of 10 days. You don't want that. Yeah, great. People get the opportunity to get fresh. And we have had some injury issues. We know that Declan Rice picked up a problem in the Palace game. We know that Gabriel did too. And hopefully this break has given them um, the time to kind of recover and get back to normal. But it's also a momentum killer when you have to sit on the sidelines for a good 10 or so days. Now, you could argue that that's down to us because we crashed out of the FA Cup. And had we been in the FA Cup, we'd have been in action this weekend. But we should be in a place now where we're ready to go and give it our all at the city ground, hopefully take three points and tee up that massive game at the weekend at Emirates Stadium. We're going to do our statistical preview and all the rest of it. Let me say a few hellos first of all. Uh, big hello to Matt, who joins us from Chicago. We've got Adekoke, who joins us from Lagos in Nigeria. We've got Hacker Steve. Adair is with us as well. Evan um, says, you and Tom have a show at the same time right now. I didn't realize, mate. Um, what have we got? Uh, Sammy says, um, hello from Virginia. All uh, Ray Beam says, uh, great hair, mate. It's all over the place. I've been wearing a hat all day and it's all uh, it's all messed up. Uh, we've got lots of predictions coming in as well. We'll get some of those um, a little bit later on. But let's go into Mikel Arteta's press conference, the press conference that he gave earlier today in which he addressed those reports that did the rounds last night, put together, obviously, by Sport, a Barcelona-based newspaper. So I wasn't too surprised uh, to read that kind of stuff, but it was great to see Mikel Arteta shut all of that down. Let's get into it anyway, without further ado. So on injury updates, he said, we've got some late decisions to make. 
Thomas Partey won't be one of those, but we have a few that had some issues at the end of the last game and we're still uncertain with a few players. He was then asked if Thomas Partey will be a part of the squad and he said, Thomas is not in the squad. No, it is what it is. You want everybody available and he's a top player for us, a really important player for us, but at the moment he's not fit yet. Could he be bluffing? Could he be ready for the squad? I hope so. I really, really do. I just think like having him in the squad doesn't even have to play, but just having him in the squad, I think would be such a big boost. I really, really do. He was asked about Declan Rice. Obviously, Declan Rice went off uh, against Crystal Palace. It looked like he was saying it's my hammy. Uh, we talked about that in the kind of immediate aftermath of that game. Um, and he said, you know, he is one of the players. Yes. Uh, in terms of those that we need to make late decisions on. He says he's done some work, but has missed some work as well. Hopefully, he's going to be okay. He was also asked about Gabriel, who also went off in that game with what looked like an injury problem. And he said, that's another one. Yes. So it's clear that at the moment, Gabriel and Rice are both injury doubts. Now, given how available those two guys have been over the course of the season and their Arsenal careers to date, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them are not just fit enough to start uh, sorry, not just fit enough to be in the squad, but fit enough to start. Now, I don't want to tempt fate or anything like that, but if the team sheet comes out an hour before kickoff tomorrow and both of those are in the side, I'm not going to be surprised in the slightest. He was then asked about Thomas Partey and whether there's a chance that he'll be available for the game against Liverpool. And he said, we'll see. We'll see how it evolves. And if that's too short or if that is OK. So it's touch and go whether Thomas Partey will be a part of the squad for that game against Liverpool at the weekend. Now, there was uh, that report, as I mentioned, that came out last night. It came from Sport, a Barcelona-based newspaper or rag, whatever you want to call it, um, in which they claimed that Mikel Arteta had told his entourage that he was ready to leave and join the Catalan Giants this summer. He was asked, point blank, if he will leave in the summer. And he said, who? Me? No, that's totally fake news. What you read yesterday, I don't know where it's coming from. It's totally untrue and I'm really upset about it. He says, I could not believe it. I don't know where it's coming from. It's got no sources. It's got nothing. And I think we have to be very cautious when we talk about personal things to put it in the way that it was put yesterday. He was then asked if he has unfinished business at Arsenal. And he said, I'm in the right place. I'm with the right people. I feel really good about it. And as I said many times, I'm immersed in a beautiful journey with this football club, these players, this staff and our people. And I'm investing a, still a lot in them. On the boss's previous associations with Barcelona, he says, look, that's something I can't control. This is part of football. It's something very different to someone putting out a statement for something that I'm doing. That's very different. The other one is it's just part of football and this industry. That's it. Uh, there were questions inevitably about his contract. Now, his contract is due to expire in June 2025 at present. So you can understand why people are looking at his situation and wondering if the Barcelona thing uh, could be a temptation for him. And I spoke about this on yesterday's pod. I think we do have to be proactive in this situation. I don't think we can allow his contract, to be honest, to roll into the final year. Um, signing someone up on a new contract doesn't mean that you're stuck with them for the foresee for the remainder of that contract or for the duration I should say of that contract we've seen plenty of contracts broken every manager as I said yesterday that was ever sacked was sacked when they were under contract so this idea that if you give him a four-year deal or a five-year deal 
that you then have to persist with him throughout that period, regardless of how things go, is a nonsense, right? We were willing to pay off Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who was on more money probably than Mikel Arteta. Um, you know, it's these are two really different things. You don't, just because you sign someone up on a contract, it doesn't mean that you have to stick with them for the rest of that period. What it means is that they're protected, you're protected against threats like Barcelona. And listen, I said on the 90 Min show today that I think Barcelona are in a bit of a mess and the way that Joan Laporta operates and all the rest of it, um, you know, is 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 not attractive, in my opinion, to, to some of the world's best managers anymore. But he has got a previous association with them. And I would be sure that in one at one point, at one stage in his career, he'd probably want to make that move, but not now. Um, and so the question was asked about his contract and he said, look, I've got a strong relationship with the board, with Edu, the team, with the ownership. Things come in a natural way and we've always done it that way. And it's been done really well. When the time is right, we'll have those discussions and I'll think about the best way to do that. Uh, there was some talk about the Crystal Palace game. Uh, there was some talk about Nottingham Forest's potential absentees due to AFCON. He was asked about um, Gabriel Martinelli getting his confidence back after scoring twice against Crystal Palace. And he said, look, absolutely. Sharing the goals is really important, but for individuals, there is confidence and taking some anxiety away from it. And actually scoring two beautiful goals like we did is going to make it, it's going to bring him a lot of positive things. He was also highly complimentary of Jurgen Klopp, who, of course, is going to depart Liverpool at the end of the season. He talked about the fact that he's made the league much better. He said, first of all, the person, the character, the charisma, the way of transmitting his ideas and passion for the game is something special. He's had a big contribution for the growth of this league, and I love the way he did it, the emotion that he put in. And when you see the human side explaining the reasons behind it and the challenges and everything that is related to our job, I think it was spot on. When someone has done what he's done for that football club in the league, you have to respect that and basically say thank you because I think he made the league better, every manager better, and is this league much more beautiful and much more intense. Um, he was asked about um, whether it's harder now to be a successful Premier League manager compared to previous years, and he said, I cannot respond to that question. I've just spoken with Arsene, and he took his job like we all do. He put so many hours and our lives into it. And sometimes you feel like you don't have it anymore. It can happen when you're a player, when you do any job. And as a manager, you have to be cautious managing that energy and your time and how much you invest in that because it's extremely demanding. I love it. I'm young and I have a lot of energy, but I understand that after so many years, I think with Jürgen, it was 24 years doing different jobs in different countries. It's something that naturally happens. So Mikel Arteta, um, you know, making it clear that he still has um, st he still has the energy and the fire and the passion uh, to keep going with this. Those were the big uh, takeaways, really, uh, from Mikel Arteta's press conference today. Uh, let's do our Premier League statistical preview where we have a look ahead at this particular fixture. Um, Arsenal travelling to Nottingham Forest, hoping to come away with all three points. And as I say, tee up that showdown with Liverpool at the weekend. <laughs> Welcome back to the pod. Right. Uh, if we look at the head-to-head -head between these two sides in the Premier League so far, 13 games, just two wins for Nottingham Forest in that 13. 
three draws and eight Arsenal victories. So it's clear who have been the dominant force over the other in the Premier League era. If we go to recent meetings, and these are only league meetings, um, you look at uh, the game that we played earlier this season, Saturday the 12th of August, first game of the season, 2-1 win. Uh, you go back to Saturday, May 20th, 2023. This was that game that I referenced earlier on, uh, a 1-0 defeat for us. Go back to Sunday, the 30th of October, 2022, and uh, we beat them by five goals to nil that day. But if you want to go to find the last five, which we always do, you have to then get in an old time machine and go back to the 98-99 season where we won 1-0 at the city ground and one two one at Highbury. Now I referenced that we've had a couple of difficult trips there. Uh, only one of those came in the league. The others have come in the cup. But our league record it does look really really healthy against Nottingham Forest. If you look at the recent form guide, not too dissimilar. Both sides have only won two of their last five games. Nottingham Forest's last result uh, was a three two victory. Three uh, two defeat. I beg your pardon. I'm mincing my words today. A three two defeat away at Brentford. Prior to that, they beaten Manchester United by two goals to one and they won away at Newcastle by three goals to one. That was the Chris Wood show, wasn't it? Prior to that, 3-2 uh, loss at home to Bournemouth and a 2-0 loss at home to Spurs. For Arsenal, that 5-0 win against Crystal Palace was our last Premier League outing. Prior to that, we'd lost at home to West Ham and away to Fulham. There was a draw at Anfield just before that. And prior to that, there was a 2-0 win over Brighton and Hove Albion. Season so far, Arsenal in third, Nottingham Forest in 16th. The Gunners have won nearly three times as many Premier League games this season. We've got 13, they've got five. Uh, they've drawn five, we've drawn four, they've lost 11, we've lost four. Average goal score per match, the Gunners sit at two currently, Nottingham Forest are around about 1.24. The average goals conceded per match, they're conceding nearly two per game and we're just under one. Eight Arsenal clean sheets in comparison to their three. Uh, their biggest win was, of course, a 3-1 win at Newcastle United. Their worst defeat was a 5-0 loss at Fulham. For Arsenal, our worst defeat's been a 2-0. Um, that was West Ham. And our biggest win was that 5-0 victory over Sheffield United at the Emirates Stadium. If we look at top player stats, goals, well, there's only one man leading the way. Chris Wood sits top of the pile across these two clubs. He's got eight Premier League goals this season. Nuno Espirito Santo has got the best out of Chris Wood in a really short period of time. I would never have thought going back three months that Chris Wood would ever be, um, I don't want to say a top striker in the Premier League because I feel like he's having a bit of a purple patch based on what we've seen of him in his career to date. But I didn't think that you could extract that much out of Chris Wood. I always look at him and think honest, physical, strong, good focal point, but clinical enough, you know, has he got good enough movement? Yeah, I always wondered about those things. Does he have enough technical abilities, a bit of a headed goal merchant? But Nuno Espirito Santo seems to have brought something out of him that I just, I just didn't expect. Now, again, I'll make that point again. I think it is a bit of a purple patch, but when someone's on red hot form like that, you have to be wary of them. Our top scorer in the Premier League is Bukayo Saka on six. And in third place across these two clubs is Eddie Nketiah on five in third. 
Assists, Saka leads the way marginally by just the one assist. Anthony Alanga has got six and Morgan Gibbs-White has got three. So there's plenty of creativity in this Nottingham Forest side. And when it comes to tackles, Arsenal are dominating. Rice, Zinchenko and Saka, the top three players in that department. So those are some of the statistics going into this game, which kicks off on Tuesday night. It's a 7.30pm kickoff, by the way. So don't get caught out by that. Don't think that you've got an extra half an hour um, take your time eating your dinner or anything like that because you will miss uh, a period of the game, which nobody wants to do, obviously. Okay, we're going to take another really, really short pause. And when we come back, we're going to discuss um, the lineup. How do we think Arsenal are going to line up, given that we know some of our key players are injury doubts? <laughs> Welcome back along to uh, the podcast. Uh, Jack Bowyer says, big shout out to my local National League. Uh, sorry, let me start that again. I can't read today. Big shout out to my local side, National Southern League, Maidstone United, for making it past the third round and into the fifth round of the FA Cup. Come on, you stones. What a story, man. What a story. Um, we were talking about this. I think it was on yesterday's pod about how amazing it is. Um yeah, I mean, George Ella Kobe, what a man as well. What a man. Uh, okay, let's um, let's dive into um, the starting 11 for this one. Look, as I said before, I think that there probably is a good chance that Rice and Gabriel make it. Um, equally, having said that, if there's any concern about those two players, I wouldn't want to take that gamble and wouldn't want to take that risk. I don't want us to be in a position where we lose a key player. Thomas Partey's not ready yet for us to be able to gamble on Declan Rice's fitness. And although I think that Jakub Kivio's pretty good at left centre-back, I'd still prefer to have Gabriel, right? So I think we've got to take into account what their situations are like. I wonder if Mikel's playing his cards close to his chest. He does that all the time. But taking all of that into account, this is the team I would go for. So if I had to guess that one of them was probably going to be available, it'd be Gabriel for me. So Raya in goal. I think it'll be a back four of White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. I think that the midfield, if Rice is out, will be made up of Jorginho, Odegaard and Havertz. If Rice is in, then I think that Havertz drops out of that midfield. Um, in my, well, I would take Havertz out of that midfield. Then I would play Jorginho, Rice and Odegaard. Because I think Jorginho with Rice next to him and alongside him with that central defensive combination of Gabriel and Saliba in behind is a midfield that has a lot more balance. And I think Jorginho can handle being that guy, being the number six in a side when he's got Rice alongside him. If you mess it around and you you start looking at maybe like this, what I've got on the screen, Jorginho, Havertz and Odegaard, um, which we might end up with if Rice is unavailable. I think that it does lack balance. And I think that we do run the risk of leaving Jorginho exposed. So I'm praying that Rice is available. If there's one, if I can only pick one of them to be available, I would pick Rice because I just worry about the potential of this midfield that I've got up on your screens here, Jorginho, Odegaard and Havertz, just lacking the balance and the fight away from home. If Rice comes in and you want to play Rice, Havertz and Odegaard, fine. We've done it at more daunting places than the city ground. I'd accept that. But for me, the, the the best midfield that Arsenal could put out tomorrow, given what we know, we know that Partey's not in, it is uh, Rice, Odegaard and Jorginho. That's what I would do. 
Front three, pretty simple. Saka, Martinelli, Jesus. Good to see uh, Martinelli back in form as well. And hopefully he can have an impact uh, on the game and, and pick up from, obviously, what he managed to do coming off the bench against Crystal Palace. So that's my team. Um, let me run through that one more time because I've confused myself a little bit. Back four, easy, right? As long as Gabriel's fit, Raya, White, Saliba, Gabriel's, Inchenko. If Gabriel's not available, easy. You put Jakub Kivior in there. If Rice is available, I want my midfield to be Jorginho, Rice and Odegaard. If he's not, I think it has to be Jorginho, Havertz and Odegaard. And I think the front three should be made up of Saka, Jesus and Martinelli. Let me know your thoughts in the comments section. Right. Let me give you guys my prediction. Um, I fancy us. You know, I really, really do. I fancy us um, to go out there and, um, and, and put in a performance. I fancy us to come away. Um, with maximum points. I'm going to go for a 2-0 Arsenal win. Um, maybe it's a bit bold predicting a clean sheet away from home, but I fancy us to go there and score. Um, and I fancy us to to continue um, and, and build on what we managed against Crystal Palace. And, and as I say, hopefully tee up that game on Sunday as a real, real big one. That'll be some occasion, won't it? At Emirates Stadium. 4.30 kickoff on a Sunday afternoon. That's exactly what the punters want, isn't it? In terms of um, a goal-scoring predict, well, a, a, a definitive prediction, yeah, 2-0 is what I'm going to go for, 2-0. Let's take some of your thoughts. Let's take some of your questions from the live chat. Um, I'd be really, really interested to hear um, what you guys are thinking, how you're feeling ahead of this one. You are listening to the Chronicles of Aguna pod. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back along to the stream. Okay, lots of predictions uh, coming through. Steve Bright says he'd rather play Airport Albert. El, I can't, what is wrong with me today? I can't read. Airpod Albert, then Zinchenko. Do you know what? I must be just, I must just be losing my touch. Uh, he'd rather play Airpod Albert than Zinchenko. I get what people are saying, right? But I think if you've got, Jorginho and Rice and Rice tucks in alongside Jorginho at times, then you can get away with Zinchenko. And I think that when we don't have Zinchenko, for all the complaints about his lack of defensive ability, when we don't have him, we just lack that ability to, to break the lines early enough, in my opinion. So he does have a role to play in this side. Look, if Timber was around, if Tommy Asu was around, then that probably changes my decision. I'm, I'm fully willing to own that, but they're not. And so what's the alternative at left back? You're going to play Jakob Kivior there. I think he looks lost when he plays there. So not for me. Not for me. Uh, Hacker says 3-1 uh, to the Arsenal. He says that he thinks that Forrest will score one. Uh, Abu says 3-0 uh, to the Arsenal. Take that all day long. Uh, Steve said 2-1 uh, to the Arsenal. It's all about the three points. It really, really is. Like people have been saying for a long time that they want a performance. And I agree that you... You know, you want to come away from games feeling really, really pleased by what you've seen. And when the performance is good, that gives you confidence going into the next one and the next one and the next one. And you you look at it and you don't think that that result is a fluke. You you start to think that you can carry that over into the next game. But to me, yeah, the performance is important as well. But because of the size of the game that we have coming up on Sunday and because of how this could set us up, I think it's massive. I think it's massive that we get the result under any circumstances, that we make sure we leave there with all three points. We're going to preview the game on Sunday, obviously later on in the week. But if you beat 
Nottingham Forest, then the game against Liverpool becomes an opportunity, right? So there's an opportunity to close a five-point gap, which isn't the end of the world and isn't the be-all and end-all, as we found out last year. You get the opportunity to close that gap and really put yourself in and among it. If you don't beat Nottingham Forest, let's say you lose at Nottingham Forest and you have the potential of then going eight points behind Liverpool, the game becomes absolutely 100% must win. And the pressure that comes with that isn't good, in my opinion. I'd prefer to be in a place where we're kind of on that middle ground in terms of pressure, but also, you know, if we lose, if we don't win it and we draw it, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't kill our chances completely. But if we do, you know, manage to get all three points in that scenario, then the boost that it can give you, I think, could be massive. Could be massive. Um, Matt Tomo says, uh, if Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where's the peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? Love that. He tried to catch my reading out and I got it. I absolutely nailed it. <laughs> uh, right. What else have we got in the chat? Um, here we go. Cesar says, as a reporter, do you get into... Um, do you get any scrutiny, I guess, or repercussions for publishing false reports like that of the Arteta story? No, um, there won't be any repercussions of that. I think there'll be some. I, I know that sort of when you're talking about the, the English journalists that cover Arsenal Football Club, those that have a strong relationship with the football club, when they get a story like that, would often go to the club and ask for comment. And that gives the club the opportunity to say, yeah, or to slightly change the narrative um, or, you know, to basically it gives the club an opportunity to respond to some of those stories. And in doing that, in giving the club that opportunity to respond, it doesn't mean they're not going to publish it, but it gives them um, a foresight of the fact that that story is coming, but also be a chance to maybe respond and add something you know, make it clear that something in particular in that report is not accurate. But that's how these journalists maintain a good relationship with the football club. And people out there will say, well, they're just PR puppets or the rest of it. No, you need to maintain a relationship with the football club if you're a journalist, because if you don't have a relationship with a football club, the likelihood of you getting the biggest stories and all the rest of it, which then impacts your career, is, is damaged. So that's why there is that communication. A report like yesterday's, right, from sport in Barcelona, there'll be no repercussions for that. And the problem is people will often say, oh, yeah, a source told me. Yeah, but who is the source? Is that source willing to come out publicly and say, um, I gave you this information and I am so and so? No, they're not. They're never going to. Because if they are leaking stuff, they A, they don't want to be caught. B, like... It, it, it's just not a good look, is it? So when a story is put out and it's very vague like that, I think you always need to be um, mindful of it. To be fair, in the case of this one from sport, it wasn't that vague, was it? It was quite, um, it was quite sharp in terms of like, yeah, you know, he told his entourage already that he wants to go to Barcelona and all the rest of it. He can be annoyed about it. Um, Mikel Arteta and, you know, they can refuse sport you know, access if they want to and all the rest of it. But then you go into that Manchester United territory, don't you, of like looking ridiculous by banning journalists because you didn't like what they were writing. So I don't think there'll be any repercussions for that. 
I am very, very, very careful of putting out stories. I think since I moved into this world of work, I think I've probably put out three or four things ever as my kind of own stories. And I only did that because I was absolutely 100% sure of those stories. And I was 100% sure on the source. If there's any doubt in my mind, I won't do it. And that's that's because the the work that I do is different, right? My work is built around giving my opinion on Arsenal and analysing Arsenal more than it is breaking news on Arsenal. If I've got something I think is worthwhile and I know that it's true and I know that it's been checked properly, then I'm going to break it. No problem. But my bread and butter is not that. If that is your bread and butter, then you need to maintain these relationships and you need to make sure that you do your due diligence when these types of reports come around. Because if you don't, you can end up in a sticky situation where sources, if you have them in the first place, are going to not want to give you stuff because A, your reputation isn't great and B, maybe you've minced what they've told you and you've um, maybe let on to someone who's told you and that's put them in, in hot water. So it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. It really, really is. It's a difficult world. It's a murky world. You don't really know what's true, what's not you get the impression that some people like to fluff their stories to make them a little bit more attractive. They use very vague wording like could have an interest, um, long standing interest. Like, what, what do you mean? Long, well, like, it's like, what do you mean a long standing interest? Like, what do you mean, um, might be interested? What do you mean by, um, could be or are monitoring? Like, these are all really, really like vague terms that don't actually cut through and give you any kind of incisive information and that's the way that these stories are if you word a story in a certain way you can protect yourself against a number of eventualities you know like i could say to you today that arsenal are interested in signing victor ossiman and that they've had talks with victor ossiman's people now if the summer comes along and arsenal don't sign victor ossiman some people will come to me and say oh hold on a minute you said that arsenal were in talks with victor ossiman and that arsenal were trying to sand, sign victor ossiman then you can't prove that I'm wrong because although he didn't end up signing for the club, you can't prove that Arsenal didn't speak to his people. And I can't prove that I was right because you would never know if they had a private conversation with Arsenal's people. Do you see what I mean? A lot of reporting goes down that road, goes down that route because you are covering your own back and making sure that you only really sort of bring it up when it goes your way. So if I said today, as I say, example, Arsenal speaking to Victor Ossiman and then Arsenal signed Victor Ossiman in August, I'll be able to go back and say, look, on the 29th of January, I told you guys that Arsenal were in talks with Victor Ossiman. I broke the news first and bam, the situation's developed over time and he's now an Arsenal player. Again, this is an example. If you're just tuning in, don't, don't get too excited. But equally, if that deal doesn't materialise, you can't prove that I was wrong. So I've covered my back by reporting it in a certain way. And I'm not saying they all do that because there's some really good journalists out there that definitely don't do that. But there are also some, some of these Twitter accounts that have turned into ITKs. That's what they do. They, they protect themselves with the wording in the hope that if they throw enough mud at the wall, something will stick. That's how it goes. But interesting question. Thank you uh, very, very much. Okay, I am going to leave it there. Thank you all for joining me, as always. Um, prediction is a 2-0 win for the Gunners 
up at the city ground. Uh, we'll bring you reaction to that game on Wednesday morning. Um, I'm going to be driving up to the city ground and then driving back. So I won't be able to bring you the pod uh, on the same night. Maybe I'll do a brief uh, post-match reaction bit uh, if I get the opportunity. Um, but yeah, I'll be speaking to you then. Uh, we'll drop a bit of content uh, tomorrow at some point. It could well be, if you're a YouTube subscriber, a cutout from this episode of the podcast. Um, I'm just pleased. that I'm pleased that the Arsenal are back in action. I'm pleased that Mikel Arteta has shut down uh, the Barcelona chat. I'll see you all next time. Until the next one, take care. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.